Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Did you know that Jesus Christ, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, actually rode into Jerusalem on a donkey during the week of his death? Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ humbled himself and waddled into Jerusalem not on a great war horse, not being carried by a multitude of people, but on a young donkey. The unassuming, selfless love of our God and King Jesus Christ is utterly breathtaking. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 12 and look at the beautiful and loving humility of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Thursday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus. It is by and far without comparison, uh, the most edifying and the most productive thing we can do in our lives is to spend time with Jesus, spend time in prayer and thanksgiving and repentance spend time in praise and worship um, and spending time in the scriptures and the living word of God, right? Spending time knowing him, getting to know him, getting to know his love, loving him, obeying him um, and helping others do all these things. It's just, uh, it's the meaning of life is growing to know Jesus. All right, we're continuing in John 12 today. Today we're planning on doing verses 12 to 19. Um, fairly well-known passage when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, when, uh, you know, in, um, different denominations celebrate it far more than others. Right. Um, but it says, uh, it says in verse 12 to 19, it's going to talk about what, uh, what's called the triumphal entry when Jesus enters into, uh, Jerusalem and he's and he's riding on a donkey and we're going to talk about that and all that that means and um and they lay down palm branches for him and so once again we're in the the final week of his life here as we had said last time um about 50 percent of the book of John represents the last week of Jesus's life about 33 percent of Matthew is the last week of Jesus's life about 25% of Luke is the last week of Jesus's life, and about 40% of Mark uh, represents the last week of Jesus's life. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor and your grace and your love on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have the scriptures, the holy scriptures, the living word of God to feed us and to feed our spirit and soul, Father. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, living a perfect life for us, dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we do worship you today, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 10, I'm sorry, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been, had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the dead and raised him from the dead. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, so in the in the in the first, you know, in the first eleven verses, we we talk about, you know, we discussed last time how Mary had taken this this extremely expensive jar of um, of essential oils, so to speak. It was worth one year of a man's wages, and um, and poured it out on Jesus's feet and let down her hair, which for a woman would have been um, unheard of because it would have represented loose morals, so to speak. Um, and, you know, not caring what anyone thought, Mary just wiped the perfume with her hair off Jesus's feet in this incredible act of love, devotion, and service to Jesus. Um, we were talking about it in Bible study this week, how, how often Martha gets a bad rap and Mary always gets the, the compliments. But in Martha and Mary, when you really study it in detail, like here, you know, the, the scriptures are consistently saying Martha served, Martha served, right? Um, it says here in uh, verse two, here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor, Martha served. Um, and so we get this idea that Martha's always serving, Martha's always serving, and Mary is always just, um, just sitting at the feet with Jesus, being with Jesus. And certainly we see that in the scriptures, but... In reality, you know, Martha has undoubtedly an incredible devotional life to Jesus as well. Martha has an intimacy as well. Um, and Mary serves as well. Because here we see Mary perform this incredible act of service, uh, just showing her incredible devotion. She took something that was worth one year of a worker's salary. And in one event... At one point in time, as Jesus is reclining, she pours it out over his feet, just poured one year worth of wages out on Jesus's feet, let down her hair, right? Because women always kept their hair up and, and wiped Jesus's feet with the perfume. Um, and so we were talking about it in Bible study that these women are just an incredible, incredible um, example of devotion and service. Now there's a, you know, you know, there is a place where Martha does say to, you know, where Martha gets frustrated with, with Mary and Jesus and tells Jesus to, you know, Lord, tell my sister to help me when Mary's just sitting at his feet. And, um, 
And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about Mary, about many things. Mary's chosen what is better and that won't be taken from her. Um, and it's really from that, that, that again, preachers over the years have often spoken about Martha as needing to, you know, sometimes just sit at Jesus's feet. And certainly we all need to sit at Jesus's feet as, as Mary did. Um, but there are two sides of the same coin. Our devotion to Jesus and our service to Jesus ought to be two sides of the same coin, meaning the more we're devoted to Jesus, the better and more deeply and intimately and properly we'll serve him. And the more properly we serve him, the more devoted we will be to him. So they ought to be two sides of the same coin, devotion and service. And so, um, you know, we, we, we went through that and, you know, we had spoken about how, you know, how, how Judas, who was taking money out of the money bag, was, uh, you know, had complained that this was a waste of money, that the money should have been given to the poor, where he really wasn't concerned about the poor. He just was helping himself to the money. And we talked about how oftentimes, you know, as Christians, oftentimes we're just disingenuine. You know, we're not true about our motivations. And it's just a, a, an area of repentance for us all. Um, and so again, crowds are, are coming to Jesus because they've heard and been told that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And we talked about how the chief priests just couldn't bear it. The religious leaders just couldn't stand it. They didn't like it. And they even made plans to kill Lazarus as well. It says in verse 10 of chapter 12. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Verse 11, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And we talked about how this kind of territorial attitude, this territorialism is in, is, is deeply rooted in the body of Christ today, in our churches today, and in our ministries. And again, it's just another area of repentance. There's no condemnation when we're in Christ, but oftentimes we just read through scriptures and, and we think they have nothing to do with us, where oftentimes we're operating in this same spirit, so to speak, that these religious leaders are. And... Um, and we just have not eyes that see it. So forgive us, Father, and help us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So now we move into verse 12 where it says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This is the Passover feast. I, I uh, in, in, in preparing for this, I, you know, I, I did learn a few new things um, that I had not known. Um, different scholars that I study. Um, now I'd already said that, you know, scholars say that around the Passover time, probably around 250,000 people would come to, to Jerusalem and, you know, and so obviously it's, it's, there's no words for how crowded it is, for how many people that is in an area this size. And it says that the crowd had come for the, the feast, the Passover feast. Um, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, verse 13, and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus is spoken of in the scripture. Remember John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And lambs were, were, um, were 
were slaughtered during the Passover. And so there would have been like a sea of lambs, a massive sea of lambs coming in and around Jerusalem um, during this time. And in my study, it was said that the, uh, the historian Josephus said that that one year over something like 256,000 lambs, 256,000 lambs were sacrificed. And so that's a little historical context for you there, Jose. And um, during that time, so try 256,000 lambs are, are going to be sacrificed during this time or were one year, right? And so when Jesus is, is now, um, was on his way, undoubtedly over all the hills and all the places where you walked, it's like all you'd see is lambs coming in, right? And the scripture says that Jesus is the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the, the symbolism here is just, is really overwhelming, Right? You look and you just see lambs everywhere. And surely Jesus would have known this. And now is the Lamb of God who's going to give himself for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of our soul. And, uh, you know, to keep us from eternal hell, right? Um, you know, he he's, he's coming in as the Lamb of God, seeing all these obviously just normal animals, lambs. Um, and it says in verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And I believe that's Psalm 118. I think it's verse 25 and 26. I'm going to look it up here. Um, let me see. Psalm 119. Psalm 118, verse 25 says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so the crowd is, is shouting um, a scripture that they know. So again, we see that the people knew the word of God. They're quoting Psalm again, 118, 25, and explicitly in 26. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, when they say this, right, they, they're, they're celebrating what they believe to be the Messiah. But this crowd is not aware that he is a spiritual Messiah. They're not aware that, that, that he's a Messiah that's going to come, a Savior, and to give his life for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, salvation from eternal hell, to save us, to redeem us, um, that we might be forgiven of our sins and come into relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and spend eternity in heaven with them. We have one God, right? But represented in three distinct 
individual persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They all have the nature of God. They're all one in the fact that they're all omnipotent, all omnipresent, all omniscient, always on the same page. You can't learn anything when you know everything, right? Um, but this is not, they're shouting, knowing and believing him to be the Messiah, but they're, they believe him to be a, a Messiah that's going to rescue them in this life. They were not looking for a, a spiritual redeemer. They were looking for a physical redeemer, like a big conquering king, like, say, King David or Alexander the Great, right? Um, they were looking for a Messiah, a savior that was gonna that was gonna take Israel back and take them out from under the government of Rome and the occupation of Rome. Um, so when they're shouting this, when they're celebrating this, they're looking for a material redemption, a physical redemption. They're looking for him to lead Israel back to her glory days. And that's not why he came. Now, he will come again. He came the first time, as we've said, as a, and it's certainly, certainly been said, as a suffering servant. And he came to for for our spiritual redemption. But when he comes again, he will come again as a conquering king when Jesus returns. And that will be a physical manifestation where Jesus comes and reigns and rules. Um, and man, it'd be nice if it came, you know, before this teaching end, if Jesus came. Come, Lord Jesus. It's how the Bible ends, by the way. If you turn over to Revelation 22, you'll see the the Apostle John has given his final remarks and he says, you know, amen, come, Lord Jesus. That should be the desire of all of our hearts. Come today, Lord Jesus. So they take, verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, right? And again, um, you know, you remember and in, in if you go to a church where they have Palm Sunday and they give you the palms and people put them up behind their mirrors and stuff and in different places in their car and, you know, wherever you put the palms. If that was part of the, the church growing up that you had, this is where we are now, right, Corinne? Uh, John 12, Uncle Dennis, verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So again, they're calling Jesus the King of Israel, which he certainly is, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, as we're going to read here in uh, Revelation 19 shortly. But again, they're looking at a, a conquering king where he's going to be a, a suffering king. He's going to be a, a spiritual redeemer. He's going to redeem us from spiritual death and eternal separation from God in 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 hell for all eternity. And in Christ, we're redeemed from that in the gospel. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And I believe this is Zechariah, Nine nine, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
Zechariah 9, chapter 9. Oh. I can find it here. The pages are very thin in this Bible. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So John is, you know, is putting the scripture here, um, the Old Testament scripture that prophetically said that Jesus would do this. So this is a reference here back in Zechariah, around what, five, 600 years earlier, that prophesied that the Messiah, the Savior, the King would do this. And so it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. And so as he's coming in, do not be afraid, verse 15, O daughter of Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So he's he's riding on a, on a young donkey. And, and this is imagery here, okay? A conquering king doesn't come strolling in, Auntie Jackie. Doesn't come just bumbling in, Esther, on a little donkey, right? A conquering king comes in on a war horse, right? Comes in on like a, a massive war horse that that's you know that that's just regal and strong right a donkey and a, and a donkey is one of my beautiful wife may's favorite animal it used to be her favorite animal she's been to israel i have not um and she loved chasing the donkeys in israel um but now it's an alpaca is her favorite animal since we saw that alpaca several years back when, you know, we were on some husband and wife time in, uh, um, in Austin or we were outside of Austin, Texas. And, uh, you know, they had, they had an alpaca there and she just fell in love with it. Now we got alpacas all over the house. Um, but a donkey represented just peace, right? It's not threatening. So when Jesus is riding on a donkey, it's a representation that he's coming to bring peace. He's coming to bring, bring peace with God to the human race. If, if you're not in Jesus Christ today, anyone in the world who's not in Jesus Christ today is an enemy of God, the scripture says. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we trust him and rely on him as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul and him alone, we come into a relationship and we have peace with God. No more are we separated from God because of our sin, right? Isaiah 59 says our sin is separated from God. I believe it's Isaiah 59. Um and so when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, no more is that sin dividing us and separating us. No more are we under the wrath of God because of our sin. We don't understand. Certainly we don't. Certainly I don't. Because if I understood, I wouldn't act the way I do sometimes. But how bad sin 
really, really is. All rational human beings know they're sinful. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, every human being is sinned and falls short of God's holy standard. And because of that, we need a savior. Nothing we can do can take away our sins. All the good we do will not take away our sins. Good doesn't take away bad. We need a savior. We're desperate. We're hopeless. We're helpless. That's why Jesus Christ willingly became a man. God the Son, the Son of God, Jesus, willingly becomes a human man, lives a perfect life on our behalf, dies a torturous, sinful death on our behalf. I'm sorry, dies a torturous, perfect death on our behalf for sin, right? And is raised from the dead. All of this is done wholly and entirely because we all need Jesus. Out of his own mouth in John 14, 6, we'll get to in a couple chapters, Lord willing. John said, I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except uh, through me. So are you trusting in Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Are you relying on him alone? A Christian is someone who's, who's trusting in Jesus Christ and relying on Jesus Christ and believes Jesus Christ to be the Son of God who came into the world and gave his life for them. And they're trusting and relying on him alone, not on anything else. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? It's not words that save us. It's not, you know, it's Jesus that saves us. It's Christ that saves us. But we communicate our heart with our words, right? Have you called out for Jesus? How do you do that? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness and your need of him? A Christian is someone who genuinely, right, meaningfully, with, with as genuine a heart as they know how, has come before the Lord and simply confessed, Lord Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinful person. I know I've done wrong. And Jesus, I, I believe I'm helpless and hopeless and desperate, Lord. But Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you did come into the world and live your life for me and died on the cross for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I humble myself before you and I ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Again, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, go ahead and use those words. Back up the tape and use those words. But again, it's the it's the genuineness of our hearts. It's the sincerity of our hearts before Christ in knowing our desperate need of him, knowing that without him only hell awaits us. And out of that place of humility, we give our lives to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, he becomes our Lord and Savior. That's a Christian, right? Um, and so you see this this incredible act of humility, again, it's incomprehensible. Jesus could have, could have, you know, could have gotten the, you know, it says Jesus found a donkey and the other gospels explain how he got it, but he could have found the greatest war horse ever given and come in as a king. But again, he just comes in in this, this utterly, this, this, this completely, right, nonviolent way 
He doesn't come in with all kinds of, uh, you know, like grand kingly rights just to pump. You know, all the people are around. They're singing Hosanna. They're proclaiming all that, uh, you know, all their excitement because, again, they believe he's going to be a physical deliverer. Um, but again, he's, he's, he's on a donkey, y'all. So again, it's, it's clear. And they should have known that it's clear that he wasn't here to, to lead Israel back to their, you know, to their glory days. Right. And, you know, most of, uh, most of devout Israel today, most of Israel that are still trying to that have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, they're still waiting for some kind of some natural Messiah. You know, where it's it's clear, it's obvious that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the Savior of Israel, the Jews, and the Savior of the whole world. But many Jews today are still looking for this big conquering king, charismatic figure to come in with, with all kinds of force and to bring Israel back to their glory days. And, and certainly that'll never happen. Jesus is their Messiah and is, and is our Messiah of the whole world. He will come back again and he will one day redeem Israel, but that'll only be in Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ can any human being all 8 billion people in the world, Jews or those who are not Jews, which are called Gentiles, we all need Jesus Christ to avoid eternal hell for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. So if you're not sure you're a Christian, again, go back and humble yourself before the Lord. Acknowledge to him your need of him. Repent of just your old way of however you've been thinking about God, Right? If you've been thinking you're, you got, you're going to do enough good to offset your bad, you just repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I know that there's nothing I can do. Repent if you were thinking there was any other way or any other religion. It's only in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. His disciples had no idea why they were saying these scriptures. The disciples certainly knew these scriptures, but they didn't know they were relating to him, right? At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, John says, right? Wow, now it makes sense, right? After Jesus has been, you know, um, crucified and resurrected, right? Now it all starts to make sense, right? Um, that, you know, you know, and then certainly John writes this gospel in, in what the, the mid eighties AD sometime around there. Right. So now it all makes sense what they were saying, um, that these, what these scriptures were saying about Jesus when they were written, you know, hundreds of years earlier. It's an interesting concept here that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, 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 we rarely understand all that's going on. Right. At first, his disciples did not understand all this during the moment. We we almost never understand the purpose of the Lord or what he's doing in our lives. And that's hard. Right. 
only after Jesus was glorified, verse 16, did they realize that these things had been, had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. It's often times, really almost all of the time, after we've, we've gone through a situation or circumstances that we really can begin to see what the Lord was doing and how he was working in our lives. And, and, and really, you know, the good that, that's come out of it. Right. Romans 8, 28 says that, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And the more we walk in love for Jesus, the more we'll experience that. If you're in Jesus Christ today, he is working all things for your good. But the more you're actively living for Christ and loving for Christ and giving for Christ and forgiving for Christ. Right, Melanie? The more you'll recognize and experience these things. Right. There's a difference between all things working for good, which they are in any believer's life. And us experiencing that, us tangibly experiencing again, it's one thing to know that God loves us, that our heavenly father loves us. It's another thing to experience that love in a meaningful and tangible way. Right. So, again, it's often not until. Time has passed. It's, it's, it's generally not till we've come through a situation that we can then look back and see, man, now I, now I can see what the Lord was doing, right? Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. All right? And there's certainly a, an exhortation to us there, Right? We've seen the miracle of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ in our own hearts. We've seen the love of Christ and the power of Jesus Christ as we've walked with him in our lives. And it's our job to spread the word. Okay. Now, this crowd had been told of an incredible miracle that Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead. So they're, they're spreading the word about Jesus, Tom. So... Jesus has done a work in all of our lives, has done a miracle in all of our lives. We've all been given resurrection life if we're in Jesus Christ today, right, Pop? And are you spreading the word about what Jesus has done? Are you testifying to what Jesus has come? This is how we overcome. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, Right? Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Father, I ask you to help us. Holy Spirit, convict us. Jesus, lead us that we would continue to spread the word of who you are and all you've done and what your word says. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Mm. Verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And again, when we testify to what Jesus has done in our lives, when, we will, when we're willing to spread the word about who Jesus is and what he's done, other people will want to meet Jesus, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. Again, let's, uh, let's spread the word of God, the true word of God, and what, what he's done in our lives, the miracle he's done in our lives. And because of this, many people, because they had heard that he'd given this miraculous sign, when people know the miracle he's done in your life, they'll want to meet him. 
and spend time with him, right? Many people, don't say all people, but all people need ultimately to meet Jesus and to know Jesus and to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's no other way to avoid eternal hell and separation from God for all eternity. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And finally, verse 19 so the Pharisees said to one another, these are the religious leaders of the day. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him, right? Now, obviously, that's an exaggeration, um, but they just see everyone, you know, they see these crowds and they're shouting the king of Israel. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And... And the Pharisees have been used to their whole lives, people revering them and speaking well of them and honoring them and showing reverence to them. And that's not what it's about. And I say this over and over, it's, it's very easy for us to fall into this as ministers, as pastors, as preachers, as teachers, as elders, as deacons. Um, or whatever our gifts are in the body of Christ, it's, it's very hard to live a life where you care, really do care moment by moment, day by day, more about Jesus than about yourself, your ministries, your teachings, um, your church. And, and it's a trap and it's an area of repentance for us one and all. And Father, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive us, Father, where we're again where when, when we're not excited for work that's being done in the kingdom of God and all we care about is, is our own lives or our own churches or our own ministries or our own teachings or whatever it is, Lord, I ask you to, to just have mercy on us, Father. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear we, that we might earnestly repent. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. No, nothing's going to stop Christ. Okay, nothing has stopped it, right? The church and the body of Christ continues to grow. And it's our job to continue to proclaim the word of God as Christians today. Obviously, as ministers and pastors and elders and all that. But every, every Christian's duty is to love Christ and to proclaim Christ and to stand up for Jesus. And... And let's be excited when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ or other churches or other ministries, right? Other men and women just doing a good work in Jesus. Can, can we just, can we be happy about that? Can we be excited about that? Now, listen, I'm not saying it's okay. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to, you know, compliment unbiblical things, right? We're, we're you know. We're not going to encourage ungodly things, unbiblical things, things that aren't in the scripture. But, you know, in Christianity today, there's like 1,100 denominations. I'm telling you, all 1,100 think theirs is the best. And they believe it with certainty, it seems. And, you know, that's why we, we are so fractured in a body today. And again, because we read a verse like 19... So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this, 
is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And we think that has nothing to do with us. But the very reason it's written in there is so we can look into our hearts and see where we, we do have a remnant of this. And almost all of us, if not all of us, do have some of this. And we simply need to be, you know, to repent. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you for your love. Father, we above all, as always, thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just worship you and thank you and praise you, Lord. Lord, we do lay our hearts down to you, Lord, as you come riding before us in such humility on a donkey, Lord. Father, we honor you, we praise you, we worship you, and we love you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now and seal this message to our hearts. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen.